Well, if you have your Bibles again, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1260. If you're a guest with us, we've been working verse by verse through this book, and we've come to the final section of chapter 2. While you're finding your place there, I'll ask for uh, your prayers selfishly this week. Tomorrow morning, Rick and I will leave for California, and Wednesday afternoon at 2.30 California time, 5.30 our time, I'll be giving my defense for my dissertation. And so I would appreciate your prayers Wednesday afternoon uh, if you think of me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 13, and I want to speak for a few minutes today on this subject, secure, standing, and settled. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, and this is what the Word of God says. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In this passage of Scripture, Paul moves from prophecy to practical Christian living. He transitions from the characteristics of the Antichrist to thanksgiving, doctrine, exhortation, and prayer. He moves from warnings to encouragement, from the delusion and deception of those who are perishing to thanksgiving for those who are being saved. Much of the Thessalonians' confusion about their future destiny resulted from their lack of understanding about their spiritual identity and who they were in Christ. And so in this passage of Scripture, Paul takes them back to the basics of their salvation, reminding them of what it means to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not want the Thessalonians to forget that their salvation provides the only assurance and basis of which they can escape the day of the Lord. And so he transitions quickly from his thoughts of the deception and the work of the Antichrist to the transforming work of the real Christ. And he writes this passage of Scripture so that the Thessalonian believers, and so that believers of every generation like you and me, will remain secure will remain standing and will remain settled in days of darkness and uncertainty. And this morning, I'm only going to address one of the three. We're just going to think about being secure in Jesus Christ this morning, found in verses 13 
to 14. And Paul will take us high in exaltation and worship, and he will take us deep in doctrine. And these two verses are packed with doctrinal truths regarding the security that we have in Jesus Christ. And so look at what he says in verse 13. He begins saying, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. And you'll notice in verse 13 how he begins this transition in this passage with the word but. Uh, This word is a word of contrast. If you'll recall from last week in the previous passage, Paul had just concluded a description of the Antichrist, of the man of lawlessness, and of those who refused to love the truth and took pleasure in unrighteousness. And now he contrasts the condemnation of these unbelievers with the security of the Thessalonian believers. And he uses the word but to issue this contrast. And you'll also notice that at the outset of this contrast, at the beginning of verse 13, Paul issues another one of his famous statements of thanksgiving. He he issues these thanksgiving statements periodically throughout the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and this is the fifth time in these two books that he breaks out in thanksgiving to God for these Thessalonian believers. And in this instance, Paul thanks God for the way these Thessalonian believers responded to God's work in their lives. And in verses 13 and 14, Paul reviews God's work in their lives and how God brought them from dark into light and how God redeemed them and saved them through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does this in a very specific way. What Paul lays out in verses 13 and 14 is what theologians refer to as the order of salvation. Now granted, the order that he gives us in these two verses is not exactly in chronological order. But every aspect of salvation that Paul describes in verses 13 and 14 can be comprised in what we refer to as the order of salvation. And the truths that Paul emphasizes in these two verses are what God has revealed to us about how he accomplishes his plan of salvation in the lives of sinners. And so Paul gives thanks to God for his saving work in the Thessalonian believers' lives. And he reminds the Thessalonians of this order of salvation so that it would help combat the false teaching that they had already missed the return of Christ, so that it would remind them of their security in the hands of a sovereign God for their future, and so that it would remove their fears concerning all of their worries and anxieties about what was to come. In essence, these doctrinal truths that I'm going to show you provide unwavering security for the believer, no matter what happens in their lives. So notice them with me 
carefully. In verse 13, he begins by reminding them that you are loved. He says, brothers, you're beloved by the Lord. And with this statement, Paul reminds them and he reminds us that God's work of salvation always begins with his sovereign, uninfluenced, and undeserved love. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, captures this love of God perfectly in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. And listen to how he describes the love of God and how it impacts those who have received the love of God and how the love of God flows from the very nature and character of God. And this is what he writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God. Where does does love originate from? God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. How do you know you're a Christian? Because you love. You love one another. Because it is impossible to love one another biblically unless you've experienced the love of God that flows from Him. And Him depositing that love in our hearts. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So love comes from God because God is a God of love. And anyone who does not love The reason they do not love is because they do not know God. He couldn't be any clearer on that point. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation For our sins. Friends, love originates from the very heart of God. He is a God of love and he demonstrates his love for the world by sending his son to die for the sins of the world. And until you know and experience the love that God has for us through his son Jesus Christ... It is impossible for you to properly love others, and it is impossible for you to properly love God. And you hear people often say, well, I've always loved God. Well, I've just shown you biblically that that is impossible. It's not true. You can never love God until you first receive and experience the love that God has for you. And this unconditional Undeserving love is the foundation of understanding how God saves you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 at the end of verse 4 and verse 5. And this is how Paul describes to the Ephesians God's salvation of sinners. In love is how he begins. Why does God save? Because he is a God of love. In love, 
He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why does God save? Because he is a God of love. Why did God save you? Because he loved you. Why will God save you? Because he loves you. And his love is not based on anything meritorious in those he saves. Moses reminded the people of Israel of this fact. He reminded them why out of all of the nations of the world, God chose them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 7, in verse 7, this is what he told them. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Why does God love you? Because he is a God of love. Does he love you because you deserve it? Does he love you because there is merit in your life to gain his love? No, he loves you in spite of all of those things. He loves you because he is a God of love. And this saving, undeserving love of God is the foundation for every believer's security in Christ. Listen to how the prophet Jeremiah described the security that the love of God brings to our lives. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, he says this, The Lord appeared to him from far away. Listen to what he says. I have loved you with an everlasting love, a never-ending love, a continuous love. And therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. It is God's everlasting love and God's continued faithfulness to those he saves that keeps them secure in the face of evil, in spiritual danger, and in the face of Satan's antichrists. And you'll notice in this verse, the whole emphasis is on God's activity. God loves you because it is his nature. He is a God of love. But I want you to notice carefully in this phrase in verse 13 that God's love not only gives us security. Do you see it? God's love gives us a family. Paul referred to the Thessalonians as brothers. And listen, the family of God is broken by sin like many of our earthly families are. But the family of God will not be broken by sin forever. And even in the midst of our brokenness, as the family of God, we have unity. Because we have the same Father. Because we have the same Savior. Because we have the same Spirit of God living inside of us. Because we have the same word of God. Because we've experienced the same adoption into the family of God. Because we've experienced the same forgiveness from God. Because we have the same inheritance in Christ. 
because we will experience the same hopeful future and because we all have the same security. Oh, brother and sister, you, if you know Christ, are loved by God, the God of the universe. And his love is not like human love. It is not fickle. It is everlasting and continuous in faithfulness. Well, we're not only loved by God in verse 13. We are chosen by God. Look at the text. Look at your Bible and see what it says. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. The biblical doctrine of God's choice, also known as divine election, has often perplexed many believers. And I love what John Stott says about it in his commentary. This is what he writes. Although it perplexes our minds, it greatly comforts our hearts. And it is entirely consistent with our experience. Did you hear that? It may perplex your mind, but when you embrace it, it comforts your heart. And it is entirely consistent with your saving experience. Stott goes on and argues that all we need to do to prove God's choice is to think about our life, and I quote, before God laid hold of us and how willful and wayward and weak we really were. And according to Stott, as a result of the depths of our sinful condition, quote, there is no option but to trace our salvation back beyond our decision or commitment to the gracious initiative of God and say, God chose us. God called us. Now, some Christians think of their salvation as beginning when they first heard the gospel and believed the gospel. But the Bible teaches clearly from God's perspective that our salvation begins in eternity past when God chooses us to be saved through faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 about this saving work. Even as He chose us in Him, in Christ. And when did God do this act? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And Paul says clearly in this verse that before Genesis 1-1, before God ever spoke one single thing into existence, he chose a people for himself to be saved. You say, well, that, that's just one verse, Pastor. You can't just take one verse and build a doctrine on that. You're right. You can't do that. That's bad theology. That's bad studying of the Bible. So let me take you to the last book in your Bible in the context of the worship of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. And I want you to listen carefully to what John writes about God's saving act of salvation in Revelation 13, 8. 
And this is what John writes, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, the Antichrist. Listen, and everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And John says the same thing that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. That all of those names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. You say, well, I'm still not convinced. Okay. Well, Paul already reminded the Thessalonians of this truth of God's choosing act in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. And this is what he said. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Scripture cannot be any clearer. The doctrine of God's choice is clearly grounded in God's loving act of choosing sinners to be saved apart from any work or merit of their own. It means that ultimately our security as believers rests not on anything that we have done, but solely upon what God has done for us through His Son. That's where security in Christ rests. Not on anything that you've done, not on anything that you bring to the table, but on everything that God has done for you through His Son. And so from beginning to end, our salvation is a work of God. And this work of God's grace affects our lives on a daily basis. Friends, I'm not just trying to teach you some theology this morning, though I am trying to teach you some theology this morning. But theology should always translate into life. Doctrine is for living. It's not for you to get a big head. It's not for you to get educated and be full of pride. Doctrine should always translate into how you live. And the more you understand doctrine, the more your life will be affected. And so you say, well, how does this doctrine of election and of God's choice and salvation affect my daily life? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. Number one, God's choice and salvation crushes our pride. Because only God can get the credit and worship for our salvation. Listen to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? He doesn't save you because of anything that you do. There's one reason and one reason only why you're saved this morning. God showed you mercy. And so, salvation crushes pride. There's not a single person that will be in heaven that will say, I got here because I did this, this, and this. There'll be one refrain in heaven. I'm here 
because of Jesus and what he did. Mercy. Secondly, God's choice and salvation exalts God himself. And he receives all of the praise for his love and for his faithfulness. In Psalm 115, in verse 1, the psalmist cried out, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. There's no room in salvation to exalt yourself and exalt God at the same time. When you properly understand salvation, it drives you to worship and exalt God. Number three. God's choice in salvation produces unsurpassed joy in the lives of believers. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And Peter says to him, You rejoice not because of your trials and your suffering and your hardship. You rejoice because in the middle of your suffering and your trials and your hardship, you're secure in Christ because he saved you. It's not based on your circumstances. It's based on what God planned before the foundation of the world through His Son on your behalf. And that brings joy. Joy that nothing can take away. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, Though you have not seen Christ, you love Him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When you experience the joy and the freedom of the forgiveness of your sins, that is a joy unlike any other. And nobody or nothing can take that away from you. You're secure. I don't know what number I'm on. Here's the next one. Four. Number four. I'm glad somebody can count. Not me. God's choice in salvation produces innumerable blessings. I want you to listen to what you have this morning as a believer in Christ because of God's saving work on your life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you know what happened to you this morning if you're a Christian? You woke up this morning, and the moment your feet hit the floor, you were blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even before you took your first drink of coffee. That's how blessed you were. You don't have to put a bumper sticker on your car that says, be blessed. If you're in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed right this very moment with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you didn't do anything to get the blessings. They all flowed from him. Is this number five? God's choice in salvation promotes holiness in the lives of those he saves. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. How much more practical daily living do you need than those two verses? Paul says to the Colossians that when you recognize that God chose you and he saved you and he pulled you from darkness into light, it should change the way you live and the way you should live towards other people. You should be kind. You should be humble. You should be tenderhearted. You should be quick to forgive. You should have compassion and meekness and patience. You should bear with one another. You should extend forgiveness to others the way God has extended forgiveness to you. That's security. And finally, God's choice in salvation provides security. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What he started, he'll finish. You ever feel like God abandoned you? Do you ever feel like God is far away? Do you... Ever feel like he doesn't hear your prayers, that he's not answering your prayers? You doubt his nearness? You doubt if you're really secure in him because of these things? The doctrine of election tells you there's no reason to fear those things. That what he began in eternity past, he will complete in eternity future. What he began, he'll start. Do you know what I love about this phrase? It's easy to miss. Look, look at what he says. He says that the Thessalonians were chosen as the first fruits to be saved. Now, there's all kinds of discrepancies in the text, and commentators love to argue back and forth about the translation of this phrase, and is it first fruits, or is it beginnings, or this and that. And I've landed on first fruits. It's it's the first portion. It's language of the Old Testament. It's the first portion that was dedicated and consecrated to God. When used in the context of people, it refers to the firstborn of each family or to the tribe of Levi that was consecrated and set apart to be priests. And do you know what I think Paul was doing in this text? Thessalonians, you're loved by God. Thessalonians, you're chosen by God. And listen, you're just the first fruits. God's going to save more people around you. Your brothers and sisters, your, your mom or your dad, your friend. God may use you, Thessalonian believers, to take the gospel to them. You're just the first fruits of God's activity. He's not finished yet. It's great, encouraging news, isn't it? There's security in that. You know what I thought about that? I thought about my early days as a pastor. I'd preach my heart out. I'd give an invitation. And if nobody responded, I would go back to my office. I would go home and think, what did I do wrong? How could I preach better? How could I handle that better? How could I do it better? And plagued with doubt and, and just debilitating thoughts. Then I began to understand these doctrinal truths and their security. Because you know what this means? It means I can stand up and preach my heart out, and it's not dependent upon me. God will do what God will do. My job is just to be faithful and fill the pulpit. 
Do you see how much security there is in this truth, friend? And you say to me, well, pastor, how do I know? How do I know I'm chosen? How do I know God set his love upon me? I understand what you're saying, but how do I know it's true of me? It's actually very simple. Do you know how you know? Here's how you know. If you've believed the gospel, what the Bible says about you, that you were born in sin, and your sin separates you from God, and that on your own you cannot have a relationship with God and you cannot get back to God. If you believe that while you were a sinner, God sent his son to the earth to live a perfect life that you and I would never be able to live and die a death of sacrifice and substitution, a death that you should have died because of your sin. And then he was put in a tomb and three days later he rose from the grave as a sign of defeating your sin, of defeating death, and of defeating the devil and his demons. And he ascended to heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and one day he's going to split the eastern sky, and he's going to come back physically and bodily, and he's going to rule and reign forever. If you believe those things, and if you believe that if you turn from your sin and ask God to forgive you through his Son, that you'll be saved... If you believe that, and then you do that, you turn from your sin, and you ask God to save you, you're chosen. You're chosen. It's that simple. God sets his love upon you. God shows you the gospel. You hear the gospel. You believe it. You respond. You receive Christ. You are one of his. You belong to him. You're loved by God. And you're chosen by God. And we'll leave it there for this morning. Let's pray.